mau ki ngā mahi toi. Hold fast to creativity. Kia koutou katoa ko ngā kai whakarungo no mai anō ki tēnei whakāturanga a Te Ahikā. Ko Justin Maria Ho, welcome to Te Ahikā, your fix of kaupapa Māori here on Radio New Zealand National. When it comes to being a Māori warden in the Wairarapa, Brenda Hokianga is only too happy to do the mostly voluntary work. But it's at the Golden Shears in Masterton where she oversees the work of a dozen Māori wardens. And she explains that even some of the work they do isn't seen by the public. We've got another Wātini who's sitting in the um, changing rooms. He sits there full time from, you know, from start right till finish. He doesn't move unless, you know, for breaks. What, what's that role, looking after the... All the shearers and that, they leave their um, shearing gears in the changing room. And in previous years, eh, they've had a lot of their stuff stolen. So um, because our Wātini we've got sitting in there now, because he was an ex-contestant um, in the Golden Shears, um, he got to know all the shearers, they got to know him, so they requested that he look after their gears and that he stay in there. And he's quite happy to do that. Kia ora, Wairarapa Māori Warden, Brenda Hukianga, coming up later in the show. Last week, Nikki Moore travelled to Munich, Germany, as part of a mentoring programme, The Handshake Project. Before she left the shores of Aotearoa, I caught up with her at the Douse Art Museum, Lower Hutt, where she gives an insight into why her chosen material to craft is ponamu. I really love to use materials that are sourced from Aotearoa. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a real stone person. As in what kind of stones? Um, Every kind of stones. Really? Any stones, yep. But, but most of all, ponamu. You know, I have a real affinity to it. I don't know if it's being Ngaitahu or just, um, you know, it just talks to me, you know. Until that stops, <laughs> I don't know if it ever will, but I continue to use Ponamu in my work. More from Kaitahu artist Nikki Moa coming up. Plus, we'll feature music from Natapa Black's new album, Imuri Ahiahi, officially launched today. Koyaranga Kōrero Matato Katoa, that's what's coming up in tonight's edition of Te Ahika. <laughs> Te Aika, Radio New Zealand National. On February 24th this year, revered artist Ralph Haltiri died at his home in Dunedin. He was 81. The hymn you can hear was recorded at the Tangihanga of Ralph Hōtere at his marae in Mitimiti. Last week on the show, we featured archival recordings of people who knew and followed the work of Ralph Hōtere. Professor Jonathan Mane Fioki talked about the impact that Hōtere's artistic style had in Aotearoa and indeed around the world. On Tuesday, Hōtere was buried at Matihitihi Marae Mitimiti in the Hokianga. Radio New Zealand's Northland regional reporter Lois Williams attended the Tangihanga and talked to those who knew him best, his whānau. Was it a big thing in those days to come from a little community like this and then go away all that distance to well, a training Well, I suppose, I suppose it was, but uh, you know, nobody thought anything about it, eh? Just, you know, they just sent us to college, sent us to school, and that was it. Nobody thought much about it. Did you go to training college as well? Yes, we all went to college. I went to college. Yeah. 
So it must have been a family that was keen on education, valued it. Yes, my, my parents were very keen for us to have education. So Ralph was really the first one that started and everybody just followed on. So we all had good education. When did it first um, become noticed that he had artistic ability? When he had a... Um, that he was, had artistic ability, that he was an artist. Wow. He's always, always been artistic. I don't know, ever since he was small, I suppose. Uh, you know, when he was small, he could have just up here and he drew the Santa Claus and the gladius when he was small on a blackboard. You know? So probably from then on he just carried on. Went to art school and all these other places and just built from there, built from there. His first public work of art was Santa and the Reindeer on the blackboard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just chalking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah. I think it was from there, and then he, that's all he did was art. His, his fame, has that, how has that affected the family and the community? Is it something that everyone's very proud of, or they just take it with a grain of salt? Or? What's that? His fame, and the way he's been acclaimed as one of New Zealand's most important mm. artists. How, how has that, has that been a source of pride for the family? Or is well, yeah, yeah, it, you know, well, the family is like him, you know, we just keep out of the, out of the limelight. But the people here are very proud of him. Uh, they, they think a lot of Ralph, you know. So do we, but, you know, we just, in a quiet way. Yeah. You notice all the people here, they love Ralph. They love him. Yeah. Expecting big crowds for the Tangihama? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we think it'd be a big crowd. Yeah. It's a lot of people been ringing up and coming from all over the place. So, yeah. Lots of artists? Well, I hope so. I hope, I hope a lot of artists uh, turn up. There's supposed to be a few that will turn up. Mm. And writers and poets. Uh, It'll we'll be the who's who of the New Zealand art and literary scene. Pardon? It'll be a who's who of the New Zealand art and literary scene. Yeah, there's uh, all these... Uh, oh, look at my sister. Charlotte? This is ours. This is ours. Sit down. Are you, are you full of going? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You full of going? Go ahead. Play. You can answer the question soon. So I'm Lois Williams for Radio New Zealand. Oh, Kia ora. I'm Charlotte Courtenay. And you are Ralph's sister. Youngest sister. Youngest sister. Yes. What are your memories of him as a boy? He was a great sportsman. He loved his sports. Um, what did he play? He played baseball. He played... Did Ralph play rugby? Football? No. He played... Um, played softball. Yeah, softball, baseball at university, or training college, because we put, did put a photo in the paper of him playing uh, soft, uh, baseball. Hmm. Was that the one where he had a cigarette... Yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. are the days. He was quiet, wasn't he? He was a quiet sort of oh, a yeah. person. Yeah. Oh, I remember one time he, um, my nephew had a tooth out and he sat him down and he sketched him with his tooth missing. That was uh, Bambi. So I'd, I don't even know what happened to that painting. Was that when he was quite young? My nephew was young. I, don't, I can't remember whether he was going to college at that time. Yes. 
I mean, he's considered one of New Zealand's most important artists. That must be a, a something that the family's very proud of. Is it? Yes, we are. Even though we did not understand his paintings at the beginning, but uh, then we grew to um, know, uh, work out what they were to us. Because he said uh, paintings, his paintings speak for themselves. No, never. To his family. No. But I did have a painting, and, and my daughter, was, who was young, she was seven at the time, uh, she said, oh, Uncle Ralph, that looks like the outside toilet. <laughs> and, and he just laughed. He said, oh, children have the best imagination. <laughs> it's was that you... one of the very black hole paintings? No, it was a bright orangey one, but it, when I did look at it, it, it did look like a loo. <laughs> uh, he was amused by that. He was. Yeah. Did he come home very often, Sean? Well, he used to when um, he didn't have a stroke. He came to Auckland quite a bit. We used to all get together, and you know, whenever he came to Auckland, we'd all gather and uh, uh, share a meal with him. Usually with snapper and fish heads, and he he loved that. He used to come up about once a month or sometimes to Auckland. Yeah. That's where most of the family are based these days? Or? Well, in the, at that time. Did he come back to Mishi Mishi at all? Yeah, to funerals and, you know, when, when Mum died. When did, when did Mum die? 1972. Oh. And then my sister, my sister's brother. I think the last time he came back here was... Uh, when we had the unveiling for my oldest sister and the brother. So what was his place in the family? Was he the oldest son? No, no, uh, he was about the middle. He was about uh, three, four, five, about the eighth. Yes, yeah, he, he was in the middle, out of 15. So at the moment there's five of us left now. Two, three sisters and uh, three of us and two brothers, that's Winyata and Moss. Right. Okay. Yeah. They all went down to Dunedin, but I couldn't go. Why not? So I, I was re really sick. Yes. I'm just getting over bronchitis at the moment. Oh. My daughter was down there, so she was represented me, but um, I was liaising with my daughter with what was going on in Dunedin, and then I'd liaise with the people back here to organize things and see what they wanted. Mm. Your family um, must have set a high store on education and, and valued it. To yeah. send, you sent oh. most of the kids to My mum didn't go to college. Oh, she didn't go to college. She did go to school. And she made sure that we all had a good education. So we all went to um, college. We went to St. Joseph's Mother Girls College, the girls. And uh, the boys went to Hata Petra in Auckland. And, you know, um, must have cost them a lot. But she still gave us what we wanted, you know, because we used to travel way down to Napier. What did your parents do for a living? Uh, my dad was a farmer. Yeah. Uh, he did do a bit of road work. The strong cat. He, he, was, he yeah. was, yeah. We had prayers in the morning, prayers at night, you know. We used to have uh, 
And we had quite a big family at the time, you know, because they also brought up four others and um, always had uh, children in the house. And uh, and uh, after we used to have two settings for meals. And after um, dinner, oh, after school, we used to come back and uh, milk cows and we used to do gardens, which were like big paddocks, you know. And uh, we'd do a row, and Mum would, we used to look forward to Mum bringing us a billy of uh, cocoa and homemade bread and melon and lemon jam and things like that. Then we'd go home and uh, have two sittings, the kids first and then the elders, and then we'd have a bit of a kōrero, sing song, and say prayers. And that was our routine. It was, it was a wonderful life, really. We never wanted for anything, you know, even though, you know, we never had toys or anything. Dad made our toys, you know, basics. Make us tops and, uh, you know, whips to you know, whip our toys, uh, whip our, our tops. And, uh, this would have been, what, in the 1940s? Uh, yeah. Yeah, in the 1940s. But he always made sure we had a good education. They sound like wonderful parents. And, and then when the older ones went to work, they sort of helped mum with our education, and Ralph sort of helped mum with mine, you know, my expenses in that. Oh, he's wonderful. He was a generous older brother. Yeah. Mm. He used to ring me uh, about once a fortnight just to see how uh, family were you know how the family were whether they were sick whether they needed support financial health and if they needed it he gave it and about uh, 1993 I was trying to bring my brother's remains back from Italy I rang everyone you know and uh, then one day he said, oh, you want to go to Sangro? And I said, oh, Ralph, I'd love to, you know. He said, I'll take you. I'll take you there and take you, bring you back. You died on the war, this brother? Yes, 1943. And uh, anyway, he couldn't take me at the time, you know, because he was so busy with the exhibitions and that. So I took Winyata, the one that was here. Him and I went. And he's. He supported us financially, plus my family. We had some fundraising, you know. But um, he rang us all the time to see how we were getting on. And he made sure that we had the first-class hotels and everything. When I got there, you know, we went, found the grave and we went down. We said prayers and uh, had a big cry, of course. And... Uh, my brother spoke and then I spoke and it was hot and all of a sudden it rained just in the cemetery just where we were it just poured and when I got back Ralph said what do you think and I said oh he's, he's in the best place you know he's beside, buried beside his friend who he died trying to save he was shot Fetu Arona and he ran to try and save him and he got shot and they buried side by side. But Ralph didn't say anything. Yeah. And I said, oh, I wouldn't dream of bringing him back. 
Kia ora kōrua. Winiata Hōtere and Charlotte Courtenay, the brother and sister of Ralph Hōtere, speaking with Radio New Zealand Northland reporter Lois Williams. Now, Lois did mention that the whānau there were so gracious with everybody, including the media. Kia ora kōrua. Now, following the nehu, burial, Fano took Ralph's golf clubs to a flat area overlooking the sea, and those gathered were invited to whack a golf ball into the ocean in his honour. Tau care. This is Tiahika on Radio New Zealand National. If you need to get in touch, send an email to tiahika at radionz.co.nz or hit us up on Facebook Ma. Just search Tiahika, that's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. When we think about the many events that take place around Aotearoa, some are staple parts of the community. There's Rhythm and Vines, Gisborne, Ragamuffin, Rotorua, Homegrown, Wellington and Masterton, Golden Shears. Next week we'll have more coverage from the event, but tonight I hang out with Wairarapa Māori Warden Brenda Hukianga, who is in charge of a dozen wātene Māori. Ko te mai pite maenga, ko kahuata te awa, ko uh, ngai tumapa hia te hapu, uh, ko o koutou te te whare, ko ngatikahungunu te iwi, uh, ko Brenda Hukianga. Okay, for a surname, kapai. Um, what's your role within the Māori wardens um, in, in um, the Wairarapa? I'm secretary for our uh, rōpū, um, and basically what I'm doing today is coordinating, uh, but in the past two days I work full-time, so I signed the job to one of the men here, mm-hmm. and... Um, yeah, and just ring up and see how things are going during my break. So that's what I'm doing at the moment is coordinating. So mm. we're in your caravan. Aye. <laughs> this, okay, so just explain um, how you... Does this belong to the Mighty Wardens? Carl. Oh, okay. Carl. Um, we, our Iwi liaison officer, he um, managed to get this caravan for us for, you know, for free. Um, it's just on loan mm. from one of the council guys. Pretty spacious. It's much bigger than the other one we had last year. So. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so this has got no seating, really, but it's got no. cupboards. It's got mm. a, um, gas cookers. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Gee, that will come in handy, eh? Oh, shivers, yeah. Jeez. Last year we were parked up across the road in um, the puddle. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> and it what? rained. And because, and you know, we had our um, extension cords going from our caravan into the rights and NMA tent. They allowed us to use their electricity, so this year they um, brought us out here, and um, and because we we hadn't got enough room to seat everyone, yeah, we just parked them up outside. Yeah, the but table. it's good. You can yeah. come in here. There's don't need to move around any obstacles. No. So the park you spoke about, Brenda, we're in Masterton, of course. What's mm. the name of the park opposite the road? Uh, Queen Elizabeth Park. Uh, that's the kids' ground, um, playground over there. Yep, and. Um, yeah, they just put us in the cricket pitch, basically. That's where all the kids play cricket and ball rush and whatnot. How many um, wardens are on the site of the, or covering the, the Golden Shears? Uh, there's probably about 10 of us. Yep. We have about 15 active wardens, but you know, due to other commitments, a lot of them can't come uh, during the day, but they'll come at night. We normally go and force um, at nights. Um, our chief person, she's got whānau coming over from Australia and from down south, so she's not working mm. this year with the Golden Shears. But, um, yeah, there's about 10 of us working tonight, uh, today. 
choice. Well, that's the little caravan. Um, doesn't belong mm. to the Māori Wardens, but no. this is the hub for the last three days or I, during the um, the Golden Shares, and you're all in your fluorescent um, <laughs> jackets. No, no yeah. uniform today. No hat and proper attire. Well, um, that's the thing. You see, we have got a national uniform. Yes, but. Um, before our national uniform came, we bought, we got our own uniform made up. See, we've got our logo, you see on our um, logo at the window oh, here. Oh, yes, on the banner? Yeah, there's our banner, that's it. Oh, yes, white it up, Māori Wardens. Yeah, and that uh, represents uh, um, the Taradua, our rangers. And um, this is our two iwi, Ngatakahununu and um, Rangitane. So um, we just went along with that and, and got our own colours. And, yeah, we don't wear the hats, we just wear... Number ones and one, number twos. This is our number two today. Why? And we've got nothing on our national uniform. You know, no. Um, what do you call those things that you put on your bands anyway? You yes. know, with the um, with the designs on. Yes, yes. We've got none of that. We've got none of that. So, what else we haven't got? We've got quite a. You know, there's quite a few stuff we haven't got for our uniform. It's just plain black and white, and with a black hat. So we thought we look out of place. You know, with our uniform standing beside the other Rofu who look really smart in their uniform. Mm. <laughs> so we just stick to our white. Oh, so it's not that you don't want to wear it, it's just that you just actually don't have it. No. Oh, we've got it, You've but got we just it. haven't got the... Oh, the, you know, the logo the, around the hat. It's yeah. just a plain one. Yeah, and the epaulets and... Kapai, <laughs> well, thank you, Brenda. We'll um, step outside for another quick little chat. Come and on, I'll then. grab your microphone. I'll bring your drink. Oh, I can. <laughs> Oh, your daughter's in one of those. Oh. I thought I was finishing it off for you. <laughs> Good man. Justin Murray, Radio New Zealand National Tiahi Kahi with um, Brenda Hukianga, uh, Secretary of the uh, Wairarapa Māori Wardens. And so describe how the workload's been for the last three days here at the Golden Shears. From what I've been told, you know, like I said earlier, yep. I'm working full time. From what I was told, um, the boys, you know, they said that things are running smoothly. Uh, they have some wartaneers standing down the back um, where some the wardens. pens are, yep, yeah, yep. just to make sure some people are not coming in free, you know, free entry, <laughs> <laughs> trying to sneak past. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, we got another wartaneer who's sitting in the um, changing rooms. He sits there full time from you know from start right till finish. He doesn't move unless you know for breaks. What what's that role? Looking after the all the shearers and that they leave their um, shearing gears in the changing room. True. And in previous years, eh, they've had a lot of their stuff stolen. So um, because our wartaner we got sitting in there now, because he was an ex um, contestant in the golden shears, um, he got to know all the shearers. They got to know him, so they requested that he look after their gears and that he stay in there. And he's quite happy to do that. Wow. So, um, yeah, we've got one sitting in there, and we've got some wartaneers sitting along the sides of the building just to make sure that the stairways are clear in case of fire. Um, and then we've got some uh, wartaneers sitting out here. You know, they just patrol around and watch the cars. And at night, we'd go across the road into the park and just make sure our tamariki aren't in there, you know, drinking and yeah. doing things they shouldn't be doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, but, you know, it's been pretty cruisy in the last three days. We came last night, my husband and I, we came last night, and, yeah, it's just been quiet. We thought we might see a lot of kids out, like they always do, drink over in the park and hang around the cars. Right. Yeah, but, nah, it's been good. So, Brenda, how, uh, what number, is this your first, second Golden Shears that you've, uh, that you've covered? Uh, no, I've been doing, working in the Golden Shears for the past four years. This is probably my fifth, my fifth um, mahi with the Golden Shears. 
since I've been with the Martini, with the Wardens. In your, in your view, has the... Um because I was just talking to one of the crowa in the um, Tinero, who, oh, who I was yeah. lovely chat with him, and he was explaining everything about sharing. And he yeah. says that he's really surprised that the patronage is is, is down, in his eyes. Yeah. Last year it was like that. What well, you've covered it. This is your fifth one. Yeah, it is. But you see, the thing is, is that, and I'm a bit fucking mad to say this, but I don't really get into the sharing because I've worked out in the sharing sheds, and when you see a sheep, you know, you see them all. <laughs> And I've seen a share and that's it, you know. Right. So I stay outside. Um, I don't really take much notice of what goes inside, just when it, if it's concerning our watini, you know. Yeah. They, you know, any, but if I hear the name New Zealand, you know, that's when I take all, but no. okay. anything else. Yeah, yeah. You might have to talk to the other watini about that because oh, I really... Oh, no, they all bound me off to you, unfortunately. <laughs> Chickens. <laughs> oh, okay. So, I mean, for me, from who comes from outside of the Wairarapa, this must be a key event, though, in the calendar. Oh, it definitely. It attracts people from around the world, eh? Yes, definitely. Like, last year we had our world champs, and um, we were pretty busy, you know, along with everyone else. Tell me what really... the, the highs and lows of the world champs, given that there was that great storm warning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the high would have been, you know, meeting new people um, from overseas, not just, you know, in New Zealand, but from overseas. And, um, you know, and there was a good, it was coordinated well. I must say it was coordinated well because everyone just knew what they had to do and where they were positioned. Um, and, you know, and the kids were well behaved. Our rangatahi were well behaved. And because of the work that our wātini had done here, the um, bouncers at the nightclubs here asked for our assistance in the nightclubs for their patrons. Right. Um, yeah. So, in which three of our wātini went down and, um, you know, just um, mellow things out for mm. the kids. They could identify if something's going to brew, so they go over and have a cordial with them. Mm. And then they just ask if we want to ride home, just to get them away from the scene. So, yeah, that was our highs and our lows would have been when we got flooded out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I was just talking to Brenda before that I had remembered why I didn't cover it, and it was because it was that huge um, warning. Because if you're based in Wellington, you know, the possibility that Rimutaka Gorge was going to be closed and mm. so you actually felt that last year. Yeah we yeah. did. Yeah. yeah yeah. We were actually really flooded out <laughs> and now oh. um, Kaumatua found it a bit difficult to get from the stadium across the road to our caravan walking through the puddle which was you know over the ankles and you mm. know it's not really good for your Kaumatua, our yeah. Kaumatua to be walking in that and then to try and step up to get into the caravan it gets a bit slippery so, yeah, we had a chat to the organisers this year and asked if we can be positioned in a better oh, yeah. area. This yeah. is much better too. Yeah, sure Because you've got staff on the ground. They need to access their facilities, this, you know, having a smoko break and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. So, Brenda, why are you a, a warden? What makes this mahi um, appeal yeah. to you, appealing? I, I was passionate about our rangatahi, you know, how they... Um, they it's risky for them to go walking in the streets without getting harassed or, um, you know, assaulted. So um, my husband and I both um, had a chat about it and we said, you know, we need to get out there and make sure that our kids are safe. So we um, took up this role. We were approached by our iwi liaison officer back then if we could come on board, so we did. And um, it's just, for me, myself, it was just to make sure that our rangatahi out there in the streets are safe and that they're also not getting up to any mischief. 
and um, a lot of our whānau can't control some of their um, little, you know, their younger kids. And um, so when they see us out on the streets, you know, they go, oh, shoot, these auntie, you know, boy, <laughs> does your mum and dad know you're out? You know, and they take Is off. Is that you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just scatter, you know, mm. and the police said that um, when, the Māori, when the Māori wardens are out in the streets, they make we make their job so much easier because they don't have to go patrolling in the parks or in the streets make sure our kids are keeping out of mischief or anything like that because, you know, we've done it. Mm. And we also pick them up and take them home, you know, because some of these uh, whānau who find it hard to make their kids stay home, you know, these are 10-year-olds, so it could be younger, upwards, they, um, um, they appreciate us picking them up and taking them back home because they won't listen to them. So, yeah, that's basically what drew me into this mahi, is our kids. Is it a thankless job? Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. You know, I'd do it for anyone. And, you know... Uh, because Marsden's a small place, everyone knows everyone. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They come up and they have a kōrero with us, the rang, um, our rangatahi. Um, they'll tell us what's going on, whereas they won't say that to the police. You know, as soon as they see a blue uniform, they take off um, or they feel threatened. So that's why the police leave us to do it, because they know that we can mm. get, you know, find out where the hideouts are and um, find out what's actually going on with them at home and we can support them. Because my day job is a strength and families coordinator, and a lot of our other Watsuni work in the um, social services sector, so um, we can link our whānau up with the services in the community as well when we're doing this mahi. What do you think separates the Māori wardens um, from, say, having a police presence here? What what roles do you, what makes that um, people connection so, I suppose, intrinsic in in the kaupapa of Māori wardens? I'd say it'd be, you know, because we're whānau and we know one another anyway and we can just go up and have that kōrero with them. We do work really good alongside our, our um, police as well, but um, they know that we get a better response. We're not going to get our rangatahi that's going to put their backs up or anything, so they just leave us to it. So, yeah, that's what I think it'll be because we're all whānau mm, eh? and we know, mm. one, you know everyone. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about, you said you're, you're a former shearer. Um, shed hand. Yeah, oh, shed hand. Yeah, I used to work out in the shearing shed with my uncle. Well, it's obvious to me that the, uh, this is shearing country. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, yeah. I mean, to have the golden shears in Masterton is pretty much, um, well, it's kind of kind of obvious. But what's yeah. your experiences in, the shearing, in, in shearing? Yeah. shearing? Oh, it's awesome. Um, because my uncle was the shearing contractor back then, um, it was all whānau. So um, our uncle... He was a really good contractor as well. He made sure that um, we all, you know, head down, ass up sort of thing, you know. Um, there was no rauru amongst the gang either. He put a stop to that. Um, there's lots of fun, you know. We're all singing and dancing mm. during our job. Um, it's just, it's not just do your job and that's it. You have lots of fun and that's what we did. Lots of fun, um, met lots of new people because we had a lot of shivers from down south come up as well. And um, and the uh, farmers, they were really good too. Um, shouts every night, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a really good atmosphere. Awesome. Okay, so busy night tonight, I take it? Yeah, I'd say so. It's the last night. What can you expect? Just um, more more people? Would yep. they come tonight? Yeah, yep, I'd say there'd be more people tonight. Um, some awesome sharing, some um, awesome entertainment, and um, lots of... Mahi for the Waitane out in the car parks and across the road in the park.
Awesome, Kate Swatsukitira, Brenda Hokianga, thank you. Oh, not a problem, thank you, Justine. <laughs> Kia ora, Brenda Hokianga, no Ngati Kahanganu. There are pictures posted up at our webpage right now. You can head to radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Tiahika, or if you need to get in touch, you can flick us an email Tiahika at radioNZ.co.nz. Kaitahu artist Nikemoa is a bit of a triple threat. She trained as a bone carver at Otago Polytechnic. She studied raranga weaving at Te Wānanga Oraukawa, and she was once a student, now teacher of jewellery design at Fitinea Polytechnic. Her main choice of material is ponamu. No surprise, really, considering her iwi links to the South Island. Neke is the only Māori out of 12 jewellers who is part of the Handshake Project created by curator and artist Peter Deckers. The 12 jewellers teamed up with a mentor of their choice and, since 2011, collaborations and exhibitions staged both here and Australia have been the result. Last week, Nikki left the shores of Aotearoa, bound for Munich, Germany, but before the trip I met up with her at the Daos Art Museum, Lower Hutt. Takitimu te waka, waiohinga nga te awa, uh, hei pipi te maunga, uh, ko Ngāti Matipu, Ngāti Whakaari ngā hapu, ko Ngāti Kahungungu te iwe mātua, o kaitahu, ko Ngāti Parau, ko Ngāti Tuwhare toa, ngā iwe katoa. I was born up in Auckland, in Devonport, um, ke raroi te, te, te motu o Rangitoto, and that was because my dad was in the Navy. So nice. we are Navy babies, mm-hmm. and um, then we travelled down when I was about five, I think it was, down to Waiuru, and was there for a while because of the Navy base, and then travelled down again to Dunedin, where I where we stayed in for a long time, and where I went to high school and grew up, and then had enough of Dunedin when I was 21, and decided that I would like to go and live in Wellington, the cultural capital. Is Nikki your? Is that the? F- it's my chosen name. Yeah, that's your. That's not a um, shortened name for something else. No, no? So I, when I um, started doing Atarangi, I chose that. Yep. Because I was just closest to my name, which is Nikola, which is Russian, I think. Oh, Nikola. Right. Nikola. <laughs> so I chose Nikki, and I like that. So I keep with that one. In terms of creativity, where did that start? Um, I think I've always been creative from a very young age and um, drawing, um, sketching and collecting shells and rocks and, you know, just having that real creative spark. And I think my grandmother, my Pākehā grandmother, who was around a lot when I was a kid, she was a painter and, you know, she um, was with Forest and Bird Society, so she influenced a bit of that creativity. So she used to draw birds? Yeah, drawing, painting... Yes, shells. Then did it turn into something more um, formal throughout your Um, education? Yeah, so uh, I went to intermediates, you know, doing all the the art sort of classes. And then at high school, really getting into my art there and going right through to seventh form back in those days. Mm. (laughs) Seventh form, doing um, bursary. And um, then I really wanted to go to art school after I finished high school but I didn't get into it because it was very you Ooh, know, hard yeah, to get very into, hard you know? to get into in those days and I guess um, there was a lot of really talented high school kids wanting to get into are you talking about Elam or <laughs> no no even just Otago Polytech oh right Otago yeah. Polytech so and I didn't get into that so that was a bit disappointing but I still carried on 
So when I was about 18, actually, I went and did a course um, at the Targo Polytech, and it was a bone carving course, just on a yeah. Saturday. Just uh, once <laughs> a week. Saturday mornings. Yep. When I was, and I was at university at that stage, because I just went to university because everyone else did. <laughs> I had nothing else to do. <laughs> so um, I did a Saturday morning course, and that was with Chris Charteris, who is quite a well-known contemporary jeweller now. I guess he was back then, but I, w- I didn't know anything about contemporary jewellery. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, at 18, I learned how to bone carve, and I really loved that. And that gave me that, you know, that connection with small objects and sculpture and carving and, you know, getting that whole hands-on stuff. And that really started me into it. And I just carried on doing stuff. My dad brought me all this gear. So he got, brought me a Dremel and sanding gear and all the rest of the stuff because he knew that I really loved it. I create kind of like, it's turned into, like I also, I must say, I, I went to Fitera in 2004 and did a degree course, Bachelor of um, Applied Arts degree there, majoring in jewellery design. So that sort of, going from Vokawa, where it was all weaving, natural fibre, I really needed to go into... I don't know, I felt like I needed more to diversify a bit more, so I went and did yeah, the course there at Fitirea, and that just opened my eyes to a whole another world. Mm. <laughs> and mm. the world of small objects, but can be big objects. Um, con- contemporary jewellery is art-based jewellery, so it's ideas, it's con- contextual, it's um, not just the material-based, it's really ideas-based. So materials can be anything, and and it can be on any scale, but it's related to the body. Wow. Yeah. So what's an example of that, Nikki? Um, so you've got a piece of pumice <laughs> or a piece of green yeah. stone. I'm just using yeah. that as an obvious one. Yeah. So it's kind of object and jewellery, um, so and body adornment. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it is hard to describe. I must I say, would imagine because yeah. it is so uh, a visual. Yes, yes, you know, yes. I do get better at describing things as I went along because that was part of the yeah the degree journey, being yes. able to um, talk about your work. So then, is there an overriding influence then of your work compared to say someone else? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you develop your own style, and I developed a style through my identity, using my whakapapa, my iwi, my hapu, my Māori tanga, and also um, my social conscience and my you know, political political awareness grew a lot, and that's where I could express myself through my work. So you know all the things, and really being contemporary as well as looking back in time, but being in this time, being a contemporary jeweller, being Māori, really influenced my work. So I I really love to use materials that are sourced from Aotearoa. Mm-hmm. No, I'm a real stone person. As in what kind of stones? Um, Every kind of stones. Really? Any stones, yep. But but the most of all, ponamu. You know, I have a real affinity to it. I don't know if it's being naitahu or just, um, you know, it just talks to me, you know. Until that stops, <laughs> I don't know if it ever will, but I continue to use ponamu in my work, constantly in my work. And it always comes to me too, you know, how something when you... Um, what do you mean it comes to you? Well, like? um, people will give me ponamu. Really? Like a, like a, a rock? Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I go to the West Coast too and 
because I have friends there and I've found, you know, there's a real affinity there too. And Ngati Waiwai, who's the hapu down there, and Kaitahu, who, you know, they're all the kaitiaki of Ponamu. Yep, so I mm. use a lot of Ponamu in my work, but I'll use it um, probably less traditionally than you'll see it other carvers. I say carvers because I do call myself a carver as well as a jeweller because yeah. I really love to, to actually carve the stone. Say with a combination of, could be paint or metal or other stones or other materials. I'll use it depending on what the idea calls for. Right. Working with. So when you just said carving there, Nikki, I thought of like, you know, hammer and chisel. Is that the tools that you no. use? <laughs> yeah. No, so I'll use, um, I use a lot of the diamond working gear, which a lot of the carvers will use because it's fast and efficient. And I would love to use like um, huanga huare, which are the old sanding stones, and spend months on one piece because that's basically what it would be. You're part of an exhibition that will be taken over yeah. to Munich. Yeah, that's From right. the Trio Gallery. Yeah, no, we're just setting up it in the Trio Gallery because um, we need to get everybody's work. They're from It's 12 artists from all around New Zealand. Are you the only Māori? Yeah, I am. <laughs> there's not many Māori jewellers, I must say. Yes. But that's okay. And um, there's, so 12, 12 jewellers have um, chosen one of their mentors from anywhere around the world. We set up a blog on the Handshake Project blog and just talking about, um, so we're interacting with our mentor and we're looking at their work because their work has obviously inspired us over the years. My mentor is Carl Fritz, oh, who's okay. a German jeweller. He used to live in Germany when we first started. Now he's living in New Zealand because he's married to a New Zealand jeweller. Okay, and So yep. they're all based in Wellington now. He might wow. as well be on Germany because that's as much as often as I see him or talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a busy man, you yeah, know, with yeah, all yeah. his work. Then, uh, so we set up this blog and we talk to each other, we communicate each other with Skype, or and then we send each other materials or and ideas. You know, you're bouncing ideas. You're um, looking at their lifestyle, how they um, inspire you, and um, we've had like five exhibitions. It's been a really good experience. I mean, that must be a, a bit of an honour. Well, um, Nikki, for you, out of a dozen, out of twelve um, jewellers, you're the only you're the only Māori. Does that mean that what you bring to the table is essentially Māori-inspired jewellery, and the only one that does it? Hey. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. Bit of a niche market, you know. I mean, I I, I would love to see more Māori jewellers, and we have had. Like, I do um, have been teaching at Fitirea. There's only a few that come through. You know, I mean. Māori, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, a few Māori students that mm. come through, and I just want to see them carry on. Talking with Nikki Moore, this is Tiahi Ka, I'm Justin Murray, we're at the Dow, so we're going to walk along to your little exhibition that you've got here as part of Retrospect, and you can just explain some of the pieces in there, please, Nikki? Sure. Kapai. Oh, so we're at your little enclosed <laughs> glass cabinet and it says on the side here, Nikki Moore, no mai haramai ki te ao Māori, welcome to Māori Land 2012. Ponamu slash kawakawa, copper, enamel paint, mukka and brass. Yeah, so I like to use mukka a lot in my, my mahi, and that is inspired through going to Rokawa, Raranga. And also I just love mukka. Mukka is just the ultimate uh, fibre. Uh, also, yeah, and paint. I use a lot of red and that's about toto, about my connection to the earth. As well as copper, I mean, copper is a pure material as well. And I try to recycle too. 
a lot of recycle, nice. like melt things down from old forks and spoons and you know <laughs> get the copper from out of the wire and ethically sourcing things too you know not getting like gold from areas where it's known to be sustainability you know all of those things so when Very someone important. buys some of your work they can have peace of mind knowing that what they've purchased or what they buy from you is, is yeah ethically Ethical. sourced yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and that i believe that exactly. I, I'm giving them it with all the good intention. When you when you work with um Ponam or in your mahi neki, um, do you incorporate te reo Māori at all in your thinking and your designs and yep. your explanations? Yep. And how all s- the time? Yeah, yeah. So you have Māori names for pieces. All my pieces do not have a Māori name. Maybe it will start out as well. I would generally carve something up, and then it will come to me, or it will come to me at the beginning depending on what I'm working on. With the Handshake Project, I've had this... Um, <coughs> so I've been working with the Kumara. The Kumara? That's my idea. Yep, the yes. Kumara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, so I've made quite a few Kumara, like out of like, grey wacky, out of metal. I cast the Kumara out of metal. And I made a Kumara Ponamu. Huh? Kumara Ponamu. <gasps> Kumara Ponamu. <laughs> Yep. And is that for sale? No, no, no. <laughs> it's already been sold, that one. Um, and the one I've got at the moment is a big piece, which is all about um, the Kumara, the Kumara Basin. was basically getting explored by Petroblast. You know, and there was no consultation with um, Apanui. Apanui. So that really annoyed me, of course, when any international... Or multinational group comes in and starts, you know, we messing up we, our environment. Yes. yes, all of that stuff happened. And this is when it all started. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I have to react to this. Because Akumara is such a strong symbol in our, you know, in Māori I was like, right, I'm going to do a series about Akumara. So I did the Akumara party, and they were made out of little Akumaras. And when, where, where was that? Was that at the gallery, gallery yeah, in Wellington? so that gallery, no, that went over to um, Australia. And that was shown over in Gallery 2016, I think it's called, in Sydney. And it never came back because I had, this was a whole new sort of experimental phase. I had cut up some kumara, real kumara, cut, gutted them, gutted. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. it's only the skin was left, and then I let them dry out. And there was, like, all these little kumara. Mm. And, I, and then I painted them in, like, red, um, white, black, Painting, Paint white them. and black. Yeah, because I was like... The tiratanga yep. flag colours. How come it wasn't in Aotearoa? Uh, they never came back because what happened was um, they went over to Sydney, they're all good, and then they started growing all this mould. <laughs> <laughs> True, yes. That's very that's important. Why. It's a vegetable See? at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, and I, it was an experiment, so I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but it all went over there and it was... The show went ahead, and it was all good. And then I was like, um, sorry, but we can't send this back. Right, <laughs> You'll okay. work back because um, it's got mould all over it. <laughs> and it would never come through New Zealand customs with exactly, mould all over yeah. it. So I just said, I just took it out. Yep. It's all good. That's just how sometimes it works. Yeah, at least I went to Australia. Cool. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. Kia ora, Māori jeweller Nike Moa. For pictures and additional information about tonight's show, you can head to radionz.co.nz forward slash Tiahika. Download tonight's podcast as well. You'll find the link on the page.
Next week, Mariah is back reporting on the Auckland Arts Festival. He mihi tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Atu i tērā ki ngā kai hanga kōrero i runga i ngā rorohiko, nā mihi. Hoki mai hei tērā rātapu, mai te whānau atiahi kā ki a tātou katoa, mauri ora.